morning, everybody. Okay. Let's start with just a couple of minutes of watching our breath, quieting the mind again, and then we'll get into the next chapter of An Open-Hearted Life. And this is chapter 55 called The Importance of Consistency. We're getting towards the end of the book. Then let's bring ourselves together as one united group by generating the same motivation for sharing the Dharma today. So let's make that motivation one of seeking to develop compassion, the wish for sentient beings to be free of dukkha, all undesirable uh, situations, and the causes of those. And not just wishing that for all beings, but our, uh, pledging ourselves to get involved in making that come about. And we want to make it come about. We have to improve ourselves, purify our mind, develop our good qualities, become fully awakened Buddhas. So that's our long-term goal. But even what we're doing for a short time today is actually a big contribution towards that considering that in so much uh, of our lives we don't have this kind of opportunity. And in so many rebirths we haven't had this kind of opportunity either. So generate that compassionate motivation and that commitment to be involved in bringing about the welfare of beings. So, chapter 55, yeah. um, The Importance of Consistency. So this is another chapter that was written by Russell Colts, the professor at Eastern, uh, my co-author on the book. So I wrote some chapters, he wrote other chapters. Um, some chapters we wrote together, some chapters we could have written for each other. <laughs> and then some chapters we had, you know, slightly different ways of presentation. Okay, so Russell starts. While we want to extend compassion to others and help them, we aren't psychic. 
So it's, it can be hard to know when another person is mentally ready to receive compassion. Isn't that true? Yeah. We, we can't, we don't know when another person is ready to receive anything or not ready to receive anything. It's completely, you know, we try and develop a sensitivity to people, but it's, it starts out with guesswork. Yeah. Like us, sometimes others will be open to, to other beings, and other times they will be so preoccupied with other things in their lives that little we say or do is likely to get through. Not only can others be preoccupied with their own lives, yeah, but they could also be very entrenched in, in, uh, in their own views and opinions, and they don't want to hear anything else that agrees. Now, I know that nobody here is like that. We are all incredibly open-minded, right? Yeah? Yeah, good. I'm glad you're agreeing with me. That's nice. You know, we're very open-minded. Whatever somebody says to us, we listen, we say thank you very much. You know, I'll follow your your instructions, your advice. That's a wonderful idea. Um, yeah, we're yeah, we're not like those people who. Why are you telling me what to do? Yeah, I know better. I'm an adult. Mm. Right? Get off my case. Yeah. I know how to peel carrots. No, you don't. You gotta peel them this way because I'm the cook today. That chance I'm gonna peel carrots your way. Yeah. You're just being bossy and oppressive. Yeah, that's your colonial attitude. (laughs) You think I'm your colony (laughs) and you can (laughs) boss me around. Okay. Thank goodness we're not like that, huh? Okay. This means we need to be patient and not force our help on someone. But they need our help so desperately. And even if their minds are closed, we can push a little bit. (laughs) You know, because they really need this help. Their their whole lives are spiraling out of control. And we've got to save them. Okay. It's our duty to save them. It doesn't matter whether they want to be saved or not. Yeah, we know what's best for them. And we know what they should do to have that happen. Okay. Of course, when other people have that attitude with us, yeah, when we're polite, we say, mind your own business, you jerk. When we're not so polite, we say some other things. Yeah. So this means we need to be patient and not force our help on someone. It also shows the importance of developing compassion 
as a consistent way of being rather than as a technique we pull out when we think it's appropriate. This is very, very important. We study all sorts of things in Buddhism and then other, you know, self-help things and, and things about, uh, you know, mediation and communication. And we regard all of these as techniques. Yeah, they are skills, things that we practice, like we practice the piano, so that we can perform when we deem necessary. No. Okay? When we regard these things as a, as a technique to get somebody to do what we want them to do or what we think they should do, our motivation is not very clear. And also, the way we communicate, people can tell that they can tell it's a technique. They can tell that we're trying to manipulate them to be a certain way, okay? So when we talk about compassion or we talk about nonviolent communication, we've got to practice these in a way that they become how we are as a person, okay? So we don't pull compassion out you know, right when there's a difficult situation, but when we're riding high and getting our way, then we have no compassion. Okay? We don't pull out NVC, nonviolent communication, to use when we're just with somebody who's difficult. We try and, you know, communicate that way with everybody, no matter who they are, because we want this to be our our way of communicating. We want to be able to listen to people. We want to be able to uh, be interested in what they're feeling and ask questions about it or even guess what it is in order to develop a conversation about the a situation. Okay? So this is really quite important. I, I just, uh, I was asked to write an article for mindfulness journal, I don't know what it is, some kind of journal, about compassion. And, you know, when I read this sentence, it, it like, this is what I want to try and get across to those people. You're not just studying mindfulness or compassion as a technique to help you in your therapy practice or as a technique to help you in, you know, whatever thing you're doing. We want to develop these things as qualities of who we are because we want to be that kind of person. Okay, I hope this is clear. Yeah, it's, it's really quite important because uh, sure, I'm sure we've all been in situations where we felt that somebody is employing a technique to communicate with us, <laughs> you know? And like, how do you feel then? It's just like, be honest, you know, be yourself. <laughs> okay, so Russell continues, as a, as a professor at Eastern Washington University, this lesson has been made clear to me again and again. So this is Russell's voice. 
I love my job. It's inspiring to see students working towards their goals, optimistic and ready to go out into the world and really make a difference. I do my best to help them along the way through teaching, advising, supervising, and so on. Graduation is always bittersweet because it means celebrating their success, but also saying goodbye. Every once in a while, oh, this is the dream of every teacher. Yeah, every once in a while, a former student will come back for a visit and say something like, I just wanted you to know that you said something to me once that had a huge impact on my life. Oh, as a teacher, that, you know, that makes you feel really, really good. We had one young man come here some years ago, and after hearing the Dharma, he went back, and apparently in middle school he was like off the walls, and he went back and apologized to his middle school teachers, you know, after being here. So I can imagine how that must have felt for those teachers, you know, because sometimes you have a difficult child in the classroom and you really do your best and you feel like you're not getting through at all. And then somebody comes back and thanks you, or in this case, apologized. And you thought, oh, wow, they've grown. That's wonderful. You can rejoice. So, of course, this is really gratifying to hear, and I feel good about it. Sometimes I even say things with the express purpose of trying to affect their lives and future, bits of encouragement or advice that have uh, been really helpful to me, for example. But here's the thing. When I later try to guess what I might have said that affected this student so powerfully, I'm always wrong. As the student tells me what it was, I smile back at them all the while thinking, well, that sort of sounds like something I might have said. Yeah, and that's true. Yeah, Uh, the student thinks you said it, and you don't remember saying anything exactly like that. But it kind of sounds like what you may have said, or it sounds like something you wish you had said but didn't say. But somehow the the student thinks that it's coming from you. Okay. And so Russell's point is here that, you know, we may think we're doling out bits of help and advice that are going into people's minds that they will remember forever and forever be transformed by. But no, that's not what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Some things go in, some things don't. Some things you say it this way, they hear this. Yeah. It's it's really uh, unpredictable. Yeah. So that's kind of humbling. Yeah, because, you know, especially if we develop this attitude of, you know, well, I'm a bodhisattva wannabe, and I am helping everybody I come in contact with, you know. So if if you develop that kind of uh, arrogance, 
then uh, when somebody thanks you for something you didn't say, uh, you feel a little bit embarrassed. Yeah. Okay. So Russell said, well, that sort of sounds like something I might have said. Why? Yeah. Because it isn't about me. It's about them. We can never be sure of another person's mental space at any point in time. Isn't that true? Okay. And so that's why, like in Dharma teachings, things need, things are repeated again and again because, you know, our teachers don't know at any particular moment if our minds are open to taking that in or on what level we take it in. And I've noticed myself that, uh, you know, some texts and things I've heard many, many times. Each time I hear them, I hear something different. The words may be the same, but I hear something different. So if I hear something different, you know, when things are said, that I'm sure other people do as well. Yeah. And we never really know what people are hearing. Sometimes people hear the opposite of what you're saying. I've given talks on working with anger, and many times people have come up to me afterwards and said, well, you said we shouldn't be angry. And I say, go listen to the tape. I never say we shouldn't be angry. Yeah, but that's what they hear. I say, you're angry. What do you want to do about it? Hold on to it? Or look at the situation in a different way to release it? But they take that as we shouldn't be angry. Like, you shouldn't be angry and you're going to get punished. No. Yeah. It's, well, you're angry. What's beneficial for you, to hold on to it or to release it? Yeah, but some people are very used to hearing things in terms of shoulds and shouldn'ts. Ought to and ought not tos. Yeah, and so whatever you say, they rephrase in that way. That's quite interesting. Now, some people, when you try to offer a tip that will help them, they hear it as criticism that they didn't do it right when they did it. So you're giving something, you know, because to correct them because they did wrong and they get defensive. That's not what's happening. You're giving, you may be giving a tip simply because you see, you know, what they're doing well and here's something they can add to what they're doing, but they don't hear it as that. Or you give some, you praise sometimes, you know, you point out something uh, good somebody did, and they hear it as, oh, but when my friend did that same thing, you said something even nicer to them than what you're saying to me. So that means I didn't do it as well as my friend, and you get jealous. Yeah. And that's not at all what the other person's saying. Yeah. They're trying to point out 
you know, something you did well or give you some suggestion and you hear it as being compared to somebody else and naturally they did better. So that means that you flopped and you're a failure. And then you get jealous and then you say, you know, oh, the teacher plays favorites and I'm unqualified and blah, blah, all this kind of rubbish. Okay, when that's not at all what the communication was about. Okay, so to, you know, to be aware of this, of how we can distort somebody else's, uh, what somebody else is saying to us, how we can distort it into what they're not saying, but also to be aware that sometimes we may say things and people may hear it in a totally different way than we mean it. Yeah. And then, you know, you wonder why they're acting a certain way towards you afterwards. And when you ask them, then you find out, oh, they thought I said something else. You know, they understood those words to mean this. And you have to really uh, spend the time and clarify what you meant and try and understand how they're looking at it that prompted their reaction, which initially you didn't understand at all. Why are they reacting that way? Okay. So we can never be sure of another person's mental space at any point in time. Maybe they are listening and are really able to receive the support we're offering, or maybe they're completely preoccupied by something going on in their lives that we're unaware of. It can be almost impossible to know. So if we expect every compassionate word we speak to miraculously change the lives of everyone we interact with, we're going to be disappointed a lot of time. Yeah, because people are living in their own heads and we, we don't know what's going on. What we can do, however, is try to be consistent. Consistency is much more important than occasional grandiose gestures of compassion. Because if we're consistently compassionate, our compassion will be there when they need it the most. Okay, so if we have these grandiose moments of, my heart is opening to you, and I am going to download all my compassion advice into your mind so that you can treasure it forever and live by it forever. And when I die, cry because I was so kind to give you all this compassionate advice. Okay, so if we're thinking that, okay, um, that's not going to be what happens. Yeah, most likely once in a while, you know, what did they say, once in a blue moon? Yeah, so... uh, You know, doesn't happen very often. But this is pointing out something to us about our mind that, again, we consider ourselves above somebody and we are giving them our sages advice. Actually, first of all, it's not our sages advice. It comes from the Buddha. So why are we getting arrogant? Because it didn't come from us. And second of all, sages has to do not only with the speaker, but with the listener. 
And if it's not sagious for the listener, then it's not sagious, you know, it's just words. Mm-hmm. So R- Russell's uh, emphasizing consistency here, because if we have compassion as we're developing it as a trait in our character, then we don't need to think about it because it's just who we are and how we react. Then, you know, will be, there will be uh, compassion consistently when people interact with us. And then on the one-off chance that happens once every blue moon where they need that compassion and that, you know, then it'll still be there because we're doling it out. We're Now we're doling it out. We're, we are the, like that, okay? Whereas if our compassion only comes out sporadically, yeah, it, then it's hit and miss. Somebody may come and, and really need some help, but we won't be available that day, yeah, because our mind is somewhere else. Or now, you know, we're angry, like, I was trying to help you so much before and you didn't listen and now you come to me and you wanted advice. Oh, God. You know, and we tune them out. Okay. That is so easy to do when you get frustrated, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? They finally, you know, just the situation you wanted, they're finally asking for help. And by that time, you've had it. Yeah, so that's our problem. We're not being consistent. We're, you know, our our egos involved. It takes a lot of effort and and a lot of very close introspective awareness to notice when our own motivation gets contaminated by self-centeredness. Yeah. Because uh, so often we're just oblivious. Okay. So this is why it is important to cultivate compassion as a habit and hopefully a lifestyle, rather than simply to learn compassion techniques. Yeah. While we can never be sure what others will receive at any given moment, if we consistently interact with kindness, understanding, empathy, honesty, and a sincere motivation to be helpful, eventually our efforts will have an effect. Yeah, so that just, yeah. is, And I've always felt, you know, in, in the work I've done, that so often it's when we go into a situation, you know, as, as a monastic, you're often called into different situations, you know, people need some help. And it's always seemed to me that the most important thing in those situations is who we are as a human being, not the kind of techniques we've learned. Yeah, when you go into a situation where, let's say, where a family calls you because one of their loved ones is dying, yeah, if you go in there with a bunch of techniques, that's not what they need. 
It's who you are as a human being. Can you sit there with the person who's dying with whatever is going on with them? Can you sit there with the family who is freaking out? Yeah. Can, can you really just be there? Because so often what people want and need is just somebody, uh, to know that somebody understands. They just need some empathy to feel that they've been heard. Yeah. And that ability to really hear people is, is something quite special. Yeah, because when you feel heard, I mean, we all know the difference between feeling heard and not feeling heard. And this is one of the things very often in very close relationships that we skip. Yeah, and you'll hear so often when uh, people are quarreling, you know, in a very close relationship, one of them is saying, you're not hearing me. You don't understand me. Yeah. And we ourselves have said that. Yeah. Can you remember saying that to people? You know, it's like, just stop for a minute. Listen to what I'm saying. Try to understand. That's all we want. Yeah. We don't want Mr. or Miss Fix-It sometimes. We just want people to understand. So, you know, we have to have the ability to discern when people just want somebody to understand and and have and be empathetic versus when somebody is actually asking for advice or help. Yeah. Many times I've discovered people ask for advice but they have already decided they're not going to listen to it. Those are the repeat people say, oh, I have this problem. What do you do? So you suggest a few things. And what's their reply? What are the two words? That's it. Yes, but. So they ask the question, but they don't really want the answer. Yeah? So we have to get used to, you know, tuning in to when that is happening and not get caught in the yes, but loop because they say yes, but, and then give some other problem and wanting you to give advice for that one. And you say what you think about that one. And then they reply to that one again with yes, but, and then you know, the whole conversation goes like this. So, you know, we have to be able to pick up when that is happening. And what I usually do, yeah, I usually give people two yes buts, which is actually, I think, too generous. Sometimes I think one is is enough, you know. Um, but to, then I usually turn it back and I say, "What well, you're an intelligent person. What ideas do you have? Yeah. And then they stop and they think. And they usually have some idea. Yeah. Or if they go, oh, I don't know. 
then for sure you're not going to get through with whatever you say. You know, because when somebody's really emotional like that, words are not what's important. It's who you are as a person to sit with them when they're upset. You know, they don't want words when they're sobbing and hysterical or, you know, people who are really angry, you know, you can't get through to them at that moment. You just have to kind of be there and wait for the mood to change. Okay. So growing up in Oklahoma, this is Russell. I didn't grow up in Oklahoma. Okay. Growing up in Oklahoma, one of my, Russell's, chores was to give the horses water. If you have horses, you don't just carry the water bucket out to the pasture a few random times each day and expect the horses to drink it down on the spot. Just like compassion, you have to make sure there's a trough filled with clean water available all of the time because you want to make sure it's there when the horses are thirsty. Okay. So similarly, if we can act with consistency, yeah, and have compassion as part of who we are, then it will be there when people need it, you know, rather than little uh, spurts of it now and again. Okay, then uh, here's the reflection for this chapter. Consider an aspect of compassion you want to bring into your life and establish as a habit. Perhaps it's to sincerely ask at least one colleague each day how they are doing. Imagine that. Yeah, asking somebody that you see very often how they're doing. How much do we take for granted that we know how they're doing? Yeah. Or wait for them to tell us when something they're not doing well. Yeah. Sometimes you can see that people are just not doing well at all. Yeah. But they won't say anything. Yeah. I don't know why they won't say anything. Sometimes it might be pride. I don't want to appear. Uh, less than, I don't want to appear needy, I'm not supposed to have any faults, yeah. I'm supposed to give advice, not need it. You know, who knows what's going on in somebody's mind. But we often can see that, you know, people are not doing well, but they don't say anything. They sit there and ruminate. So it can be very helpful uh, to say, how are you doing? And then that sometimes that opens up, you know, space for a conversation. Sometimes you can see they're not doing well. You say, how are you doing? And they go, okay. And you say, you want to elaborate? No. Okay, win some, lose some. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know... For us, for our sake, you know, to take an interest in how other people are doing. 
and sometimes ask them, how are you doing today? Okay, or perhaps, so these are some of the aspects of compassion that we may want to develop. Another one is um, making the commitment to stop gossiping. Oh, that's far too difficult. What are we going to talk about with other people? Anyway, it's not gossiping. We are exchanging information, valuable information. Like, did you hear that? No, 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 no. no. Okay. So, uh, you know, we have to discern when is it value, valuable information, important information, and when is it gossiping? I had a situation once with Lama Yeshi when he was visiting one of the centers where I was living. And one of the people there who I knew was having a lot of problems. And, uh, and, but, and so Lama said, you know, oh, how's, you know, how are people doing? And I thought, oh, this person's having a lot of problems, but I didn't want to say it to Lama because I felt like I was gossiping, you know, talking about them before, behind their back. So I said, mm, Lama, mm, you know, I don't know what I said, something like, uh, well, I, you know, I, I made, I brushed it off or made some excuse. And Lama looked at me as he did sometimes when you knew he really meant it. And he said, um, this is not gossiping. Yeah, I want to help anybody who needs help. Uh, so I need the information. So tell me it's not gossiping. So then I told him, yeah. But it taught me something, his doing that. Did I have to discern when is it gossip and when is it important information that somebody else needs to know so that they can help? And, uh, you know, how to discern those between the two. One is to look at uh, uh, the texture in my mind, my own motivation. If I want to say something because there's this little tingle of now this other person will know that this person's, the person I'm gossiping about, isn't so great. And then that makes me great because for two reasons. Number one, I'm great because if they sound bad, then I'm going to be better. And number two, I am great because I am the deliverer of this information. So that makes me more worthwhile. Yeah. I know what's going on with everybody. So I'm a little bit proud of that. Uh, because I can, you know, uh, yeah, you, you understand what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we get proud of the most ridiculous things sometimes. Yeah. Proud that we know the juicy things to spread around because when we know what's going on with everybody, then we have power. Yeah. Even if what we know is, you know, useless information, but we feel powerful. So 
if there's that kind of motiv- motivation or feeling in my mind, then it's usually, mm, that's going to be gossip if I talk about it. Okay. If it's something where I, I am concerned with somebody and, uh, I certainly don't expect myself to be the one, you know, the savior who, you know, dishes out the, the wonderful solution and elevates their mood again. And, you know, uh, but if I see somebody's having problems, uh, and that somebody else can help, then, and that's my attitude, you know, caring for the other person and wanting them to get help. Because I realize sometimes I am not the right person to help them. They need to hear it from somebody else, not from me. Then giving that information is actually helping somebody. It's not gossip. Okay, is this making some sense? Yeah. It's sometimes hard to tell the difference in our own mind because things can get blended. But, um, yeah, to have that sensitivity. And especially, uh, yeah, some people, they, they want to, how they feel worthwhile is by saving the world. Yeah. Apparently Jesus didn't do it well enough. <laughs> they have to. Okay? And so, you know, they know about what every small thing is going on with everybody, and they can, you know, meet with everybody, give their royal advice to everybody, and then feel worthwhile or feel needed or wanted or important or whatever our, you know, fragile, self-centered egos need at that moment. Okay. So, you know, to be, to be aware of that because, uh, then we can get really tangled up, you know, and it, it, it is some, it is like a skill to develop to really know when you're not the right person to say something to somebody. Yeah. Either because of the role that you have, uh, with them, you know, the role you have, or because of past history with that person, or because somebody else is closer to them and more and better respected than you are. And so that person is more likely to listen to that other person. And so it's a kindness when we can do that and, you know, get somebody else involved. You know, it'd be good if you you know, so-and-so's having this problem, it would be good if you, you know, could just talk to them at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's often a hit and miss. But especially, I think, with um, things of authority, you know, when people see you as an authority, sometimes... That gives you the opportunity to say something that will go in deeper. Sometimes it blocks people from hearing from you whatsoever. So like in parent-child relationships, I always advise um, parents when their kids are little to have many other adults around them so that they develop close and trusting relationships with other adults 
So that then when they become teenagers, when they don't want to listen to anything you as a parent says, simply because you are the parent, not for any other good reason, they can, they still have other adults that they can go to and talk with honestly. Yeah. And I knew that was important for me because I knew certain things. If I said to my parents, I knew exactly what they were going to say. They wouldn't understand. They would criticize. They would give me advice that was not apropos. But there was one family friend who I knew who worked at the same place I worked at during college. And, um, and I could go talk to her. Yeah. And she could say something that, that would really help because I was open to listening to her. Whereas I was not open to listening to my parents. So, you know, it's a skill to, to really help people develop many relationships so that you, they don't, you know, you're, they don't depend too much on you only. Yeah. Uh, because there's no way we can, you know, again, be that wonderful, compassionate one who always comes up with the right words to somebody at the right time. Okay, so perhaps it's... Okay, so consider an aspect of compassion you want to bring into your life and establish as a habit. Perhaps it's to sincerely ask at least one colleague each day how they're doing or making the commitment to stop gossiping. Okay, so write this commitment on a small piece of paper and place it somewhere where you'll come across it regularly by your place at the best breakfast table, in your wallet or purse, on your computer desktop, and use it as a reminder to return to compassionate thoughts and actions. Okay. So that's this one chapter. We have some time today for questions and comments on it. I really appreciate what you said about being a compassionate person rather than just having a bunch of techniques. Because I've met a lot of doctors and other sort of healthcare people who say all the right things, but I just don't feel any warmth coming from them. And that really affects the healing process. Yeah. And when you, I think when you find somebody who you really connect with, that is very special. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yes, yeah, because they're genuine. Yeah. You can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. So we may start out when we become aware of certain things. It may start out as kind of a technique simply because it's a new way of thinking or speaking or acting that we've never considered before. But so it may start out as, okay, I'm practicing the right steps. You know, I'm checking everything off. Um, but it's got to go beyond that and become who you are. And when it becomes who you are, then you flow with it and it isn't you have to do everything step by step by step you know it's who you are and it it flows in a very natural way yeah and sometimes the steps are completely out of order or you miss them or whatever i remember years ago when we were first learning about nvc 
Mm-hmm. And there are techniques that you have to start with. Yeah. And it was quite a painful period because it was, I didn't want to hear those words and it drove me nuts. You mean but, when other people said yes, them to you? They'd say the NVC right language at that time. Uh-huh. And it really made me crazy. But, you know, over time, we've done practice over the years and, you know, it slowly gets into all of our vocabulary mm. so that it's not so stilted and uh, something external that's sort of plugged into something else. Yeah. So it's just like anything else. You know? Right. And it's not those particular words. It's said in your own words. It's occurring to me that um, with the techniques, we're just trying to systematize something so that we're deliberate about getting it done when, in fact, uh, you know, we're just trying to circle back around to, to embodying it or yeah. being that way. Yeah, And, and I think this, this does maybe drive some cultures nutty when they see us systematizing something that's supposed to come from the heart. <laughs> yep. I've gotten feedback like that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And you can really see it cross-culturally. Yeah. People pick up on it. Yeah. I heard a line suggested one time, how are you really? Uh, yeah. And I, I have a friend that, that we talk and I, I told her about it and I said, Let's do this the next time we get together and see how it goes. And it was very effective, but it's not, you you have to have a trusting relationship Mm -hmm. maybe with somebody. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you could just do it with anybody, but um, there was something special about it. Yes. Or you really. Yeah. Yeah. There needs to be a trusting relationship and there needs to be the time for somebody to actually answer that question. Because how are you, we don't use the words of how are you, but the meaning is hi. Okay. In Chinese, when they see somebody, they say, ni hao, have you eaten? It isn't really about have you eaten, and because you, know, you never say no if you're hungry, and then they never pull out a dinner for you right then and there. But ni hao is a, a show of, you know, uh, consideration, affection, in the same way that how are you is we're showing some care, but it really, it's not really how are you really, but it's hello. You know, I recognize you're here. So we could say, you know, ni hao and... Uh, I think everybody would hear, would answer truthfully. <laughs> no, it's precept day. And I haven't eaten. I'm hungry. <laughs> I think I'm still trying to work this out. But I think when we're compassionate as people, not as like a technique, mm-hmm. um, you wind up, well, some breaking rules of systems. And mm-hmm. I saw that so much with a lot of the senior teachers in the school I was at, you know, little ways to show they care for students or mm-hmm. it's a personal relationship, but that I don't think the Ministry of Education might approve of, right? right. Like opening your home to students who need a place to go, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, yeah, which saved the lives of a group of students I saw, but, and nobody talked about it, but we knew this teacher was helping this group that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. 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 It does often involve 
breaking rules. And it also involves saying different things to different people. And that can sometimes risk provoking discord amongst a group of people because this person says this and you answer one way. This person says this and you answer another way. And people don't realize that you're talking to individuals about the individual situation. And they think you should be saying the same thing to everybody. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's not it. Okay. Achin Shah had a very good example for this. He, he gave the example of, okay, somebody's walking along a narrow path and there's cliffs on both sides. So this is just an example. If somebody is walking too close to the left side, you say, go right, go right. If somebody's walking too close to the right side, you say, veer left, veer left. It sounds like contradictory advice, but it's given to individuals and both pieces of advice are to get the person to the center. Okay. But when this person hears it and they hear go, you know, they're on the left side and they hear go right, go right. And then their friend is told go left, go left. Wait a minute, why are you saying that to me and this to my friend? We should be equal. Everybody should hear the exact same thing. Okay, but that's like saying at a buffet dinner, everybody should all eat the same food. You know, people like different food, and they're nourished by different food, and people are in different situations. And, you know, some people, they they need to relax. You tell them to relax. Other people, they need to, you know, kind of stand up straight and, you know, stick to something and do it properly. So, you know, you you do things according to what people need. But the this is one of the big problems with comparing ourselves to others is we always think everybody should get exactly the same advice, you know. And it is the same in the sense that it's all directed towards getting people to what's going to help them. But it sounds different in different situations. And then we compare, oh, why are you saying that to that person? You're not saying that to me. Why do I have to do that? They don't have to do it. Then you have to say, well, they don't have to do it because they're sick. Oh. Well, but if they're sick, why do they do this? Uh, they get to do this, which is nice, but they don't have to do this, which is a chore. You know, why do we stick our nose? Why are we so involved in what other people are doing? Yeah, you would think that that we were the chief radar for the CIA, you know, spying on what everybody's doing. And, you know, this one's doing this, and that one should be doing that. And this one, you're not saying the same thing, and they're not doing it, so I'm not going to do it. Or they're doing it, so why don't I get to do it? But when I get to do special things, don't tell anybody else to do that special thing, because I want it all for myself. Samsara. (laughs) Okay. But just I'm pointing this out to be aware of when our own minds get into that and how it just, it, it creates problems in our own mind and wastes so much time. 
yeah, and creates, you know, jealousy and comparison and this kind of thing, which are really useless. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's dedicate. 